Holy Gospel, according to Mark, the eighth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your Spirit by the power of your Word to create faith forgive sin, to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Their descendants shall serve the Lord, whom they shall proclaim to generations to come. They shall proclaim God's deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying to them, the Lord has acted. Happiness is one of the most dangerous pursuits for the Christian. Now don't get me wrong, don't send me hate mail, it's it's going to be okay. Uh, being happy is good. It is very good. It's, it's, it would be horrible for me to tell you, no, you need to be miserable and, and hate everything. But the problem is, is that with happiness, it's subjective, meaning that, that if we aren't happy, if we aren't feeling that happiness, then we want to change something. And, and with that change, then becomes uh, uh, some sort of move that often can upset all the apple carts around us whatever those might be. And, and, and with that comes the real predicament that happiness, being happy, can look like a lot of different things. I, I think of a child uh, with ice cream or candy, right? Happy! Or even me, I could go for some ice cream right now. Happy! Until it runs out. Or that new puppy, all cute and cuddly and playful and all those things until that howl at two in the morning. Or the first mess on the carpet. Or how about young lovers walking in the moonlight in Paris? Make a great movie, Hallmark Channel, anybody? It just looks so lovely, lovely and they look so happy until the first fight. Or how about a wonderful song, a beautiful song that brings you almost to tears, that brings you joy and, and makes you feel, feel whole and complete. And then you get baby shark do-do-do-do-do stuck in your head. You're welcome. Happiness being subjective means it's opinionated. Christians don't concern themselves with the pursuit of happiness because what might make me happy, what, what really fills me with all sorts of happiness, what I want to pursue, might drive my wife absolutely nuts. And then I hear Paul whispering in my ear in Ephesians 5, telling me that as her husband, I'm supposed to die for her as Christ died for the church. And so I learned that feeding the happiness monster can often be more work than it really needs to be for me. And then I learned that actually the pursuit of contentment, satisfaction, 
is much better than happiness. But that's a different sermon for a different day. Now, I need you to hear me out. I hope you have not clicked away yet. If you're still here, thank you. Uh, I'm a father. I have two kids, wonderful kids, and I want my kids to be happy. I don't want them to be miserable. But I'm also a pastor, and I look at the life my, my senior has had over this last year. She didn't get track season last year. She didn't get to go to prom, had a shortened swim season. We didn't get to go on all the college tours like we, we wanted to be able to do. She's had two surgeries this past year, not to mention all the changes around how school was to be conducted. Add in that she probably won't have a real graduation. She probably won't have her senior prom. And as a pastor and her father, it hurts. I want her to be happy, but life has other plans right now. As a pastor, your, your calling in many ways is to look around the world and for me to, to tell you what I see. Well, well, some of the things that I see, for instance, is that the CDC has come out and said that anxiety and depression has almost quadrupled over the last year. Between uh, January and June of 2019, 11% of Americans said they, they uh, had suffered from some sort of symptoms of depression or anxiety. In December 2020, that number was 42%. That's almost half our nation. That was published in Nature magazine. Well, the good news is, though, is that divorce is down. But so is marriage. So you can't get divorced unless you're getting married. So we've got that going for us. Uh, you could also add in that, I think it was last June, the most highly used search query in, in, in Google, you know, where you go and you Google something, uh, was liquor store near me. We've got that going for us too. And all of this because happiness is subjective. It can ebb and flow like the tide. So let me ask you, how are we preparing our children for that ebb and that flow? How are we preparing our children for that first phone call that comes that includes the word cancer? How are we walking with them when their best friend dies in a car accident? I've done that funeral. What do we tell them when they lose their job? Or, or, or where do we go? What, what do we hold on to when she calls us sobbing for the second time after another miscarriage? Well, let me tell you. Proclaim God's deliverance. Preach to them the gospel. Tell them the good news that Christ has killed death, that he has died for our sin and been raised for our justification. We, we get that phrase, proclaim God's deliverance, out of Psalm 22. That's our psalm for, for today. And, and that's not a deliverance psalm. It's a psalm of lament. It's the psalm that is put in Jesus' mouth when he is on the cross. It's the one that begins with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet hear the response at the end of the psalm, some of the very last words. It says, Proclaim God's deliverance. And what that means too, though, is that we have to tell them of our own suffering. We can't hide it. We can't pretend like everything is hunky-dory because your cross, that one that you've been bearing, the one that Christ has made you pick up, leads to only one place, the cross, the cross of Christ. 
there at Calvary. Otherwise, if we don't go down that road, if we don't understand those things, if, if the proclamation of God's deliverance it is not first and foremost in our minds when suffering comes, well then otherwise, what are we left with here? What are we left with, with what we are doing here right now on this video or when we gather in person? Otherwise, we're just left with a crossless Jesus, which is no Jesus at all, or we're, or we're left with a Christless religion, which is just a finishing school for some okay people. But you know that, or you wouldn't be watching right now, or you wouldn't be gathering with us on Sundays or, or Wednesday nights. God bringing you here for this. But I do wonder what your life was like 12 months ago. I wonder what it's like now. After one more mask, after another week of pandemic, another bout of hand washing, one more month of not seeing family, another day going by with no real vacation. I wonder how many of you wake up angry, depressed, tired. Anybody? I'll admit it. So again, I say, proclaim God's deliverance. Because there's more to life than happiness. There's more to the world than Netflix and pizza, although we want that to be all that maybe there is sometimes. But Jesus sets us up for this. In John chapter 16, he spends a whole bunch of time explaining to his disciples how things are not going to go that well for them just because they're his disciples that they have followed after him closely and he tells them that they are going to be scattered and that they're going to leave him alone but God is going to be with him when he goes to the cross but here in John 16 verse 33 he says to them after telling them about all this bad news I've said these things to you so that in me you may have peace, the peace of Christ he's wanting to offer. And he says, In the world you face persecution, but take courage. I have conquered the world, he tells us. Telling us that we are going to have heartache. We're going to have troubles, persecutions, afflictions. But he says, take courage, take heart, be of good cheer, because I've conquered the world. He tells us. He tells us that, just as our psalm tells us, when it says to, to proclaim God's deliverance, to, to speak to a coming generation, to speak to a people yet unborn. What is it that's supposed to be spoken? But God has acted, it says. Or in another translation, God has done it. Think of Abram and Abraham in, in, our, in, our, in our, our reading. Uh, one dude was named Abram, now Abraham won. You know, he was, he was just big daddy, now he's like everlasting daddy. He's got two sons, but only one is going to be part of this promise that God is talking about. This promise that he says, you're going to be a father of many nations, and yet he doesn't live to see that. He doesn't even live to see his grandchildren. And yet that promise is given to him. Or think of Sarai or, or Sarah, a barren womb for 90 years. All she wants is a child. It takes 90 years, and finally God causes her to laugh. And so she names her son Isaac, which means laughter or chuckles. 
God's deliverance coming to her in her suffering and having a child forever named after the fact that she suffered those 90 years. Or we could place before ourselves our gospel this morning. What is given to us in Mark 8, the one that all of us know. We've heard it a billion times, and yet we don't know what to do with it. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's not going to a party. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? The Christian life being one in which we embrace hardship, we embrace pain, we embrace even death, because we've been marked with the cross of Christ forever at our baptism, on Ash Wednesday, when we come forward for healing, and we follow Christ to the cross knowing that it is necessary. It's where life is. It's, it's, it's how, how God brings life out of death, as our epistle says. Because suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, and character, hope. That's Romans chapter 5, Paul writing to us, telling us that in all our hardships, in all our persecutions, it leads us to that hope of the deliverance of God. While our suffering, our hardship, those things that we should be talking about, those things that should uh, be in front of us when we speak to our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our friends. Those things actually make us better preachers. You're a preacher, after all. You, you may not know that. I'm not the only one. It's, it's you too. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it's actually part of our funeral liturgy. It tells us that it makes us better preachers because it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation, who consoles us in all our affliction so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. We suffer, we have hardship, we have pain, we lack happiness. Why? To proclaim God's deliverance. But what has to come first? We have to preach it to ourselves. The Lord has delivered you, hasn't he? He has, I know it. You have a story. You can tell it. And let me ask you, is the cross sweet to you? Where you see your sins die? Or maybe that empty tomb where you realize that your death has no power over you now? Do you adore Christ? We sing it at Christmas, right? Oh, come let us adore him. We sing that, do we mean it? Because he adores you. He has delivered you. In our small catechism, you know I couldn't get away without sermon including small catechism every now and then. Article 2, it's that article of the creed that begins, I believe, in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Luther writes this, He has redeemed me, that is Jesus, a lost and condemned person. He has purchased and freed me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. He has done all this in order that I may belong to him, live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in eternal righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he has risen from the dead and lives and rules in eternity. He has done all this in order that I may belong to him, in order that I may be his. Let that sink in, church. Take hold of it. Hold it close, tell it to your children. 
They're not going to learn it from PBS. They're going to learn it from you. It's yours to tell. Your Jesus becoming your Jesus so that he might be theirs. And as a preacher, the Holy Spirit comes through your mouth into their ears. So hear it again. Their descendants shall serve the Lord, whom they shall proclaim to generations to come. They shall proclaim God's deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying to them, the Lord has acted. May God capture you by Christ in his mercy today. May you preach that mercy to your children. May you be an outlet of the Holy Spirit that they may believe and know the Christ of the cross, the Christ of the promise, the one who has brought God's deliverance to you. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.